Shoftim in Perakhes, after the kingship is offered to Gidon, after the victory against Midian, and Gidon turns it down. And then afterwards we see that Gidon makes an aphoid, uh, which was meant to be a, some kind of a symbol of the nace which happens, but Lemaise, it became something which later on was worshipped as Navarizar, and therefore, even though it was not Gidon's intention, but he was held responsible for the fact that he had made something which was later a source of a mixture for Kali Israel. Even though Moshe's oh, he uh, snake also became an Avedazar and mm-hmm. later ground King Keskia, but uh, the Maisha, the Russian Tongue, it can't yeah, be the same thing. So we're holding in Perkhes, Pasukhov, Tess. Okay, so Pasukhovhes, this is up to before, Aikana, Havhes, Aikana, Median, the Pneb in Israel. You did from Havnes to Havtes at the end of today? Yeah, this is the story of the iPod. That's the Pazakh of Zion. The Pazakh of Havtes says, was humbled, Until then, they had been ruled with impunity. They, like we saw, had come at will into Eretz Israel to steal or to take all the produce. And they no longer showed their faces, so to speak, and no longer made an appearance. They were scared of Israel now. And therefore, for the duration of the life of Gidon, which was the next 40 years, there, there was peace, there was quiet, no one attacked the Jewish people. Okay, so that's the, the end of the story of Gidon's communal life. Now it tells us about what happened to Gidon himself afterwards. And Yerubal, which was an other name given to Gidon, when he destroyed the Mizbech of the Baal and sacrificed the animal which had been specially prepared for it. Uh, so he was given a Yerubal that the Baal should fight him, so to speak. So it says he went, he went back to his home. And the question we have to answer is, why here does it go back to changing his name to Yerubal? And so now it's always called him Gidon, in the previous Pasuk, in the following Pasuk. So why here does it change his name to his title, which was Yerubal? We'll see. But in the meantime, Gideon goes back to his home. Gideon had 70 sons. Not from one wife, obviously. It says, he had many wives. But altogether, he had 70 sons. And this is going to be significant to the story we're going to see in the next parrot of what happened to Gideon's sons. Right, so we're going to see. And now, besides from his 70 sons from all his wives, it says, Besides that, he also had a pilegash in Shechem. He also had a gun he ben. Vayosim as Shmoy Avimach. A pilegash isn't a full wife. A pilegash is a concubine. And she also had a son. And he called him Avimach. Now, there's a number, again, this is a significant for us to know of what's going to happen in the subsequent paragraph. We're going to learn the story of Avimach. Uh, what's interesting also is that it says a pilegash in Shechem. We were told clearly that Gideon didn't live in Shechem. Shechem was in the Nachal of Ephraim, and Gideon went back to basically the, the Nachal of his father Yoyash, which was Nachal's Menashe. And uh, that's why she, this lady who was in Shechem wasn't a full wife. Menashe was in two places. Menashe in two places. She, he was in the Menashe in Eretzishol Prophet, that wasn't in Shechem. And that's why this lady was considered a Pilegish, because had she been his wife, she would have come to live with him where he was. 
Whereas what happened is she remained in Shechem. So even if it had been a Kiddushin, she was legally married to him, but she wasn't with him, she was in Shechem, she was in a different place. And like again, the fact that she was in Shechem will also be significant to what happened to the next day. Now there's a question that the Mephoshim asked here on the opinion of the Rambam. Because the Rambam holds in Hilchus Melachim that only a king is allowed to marry a Pilegash. Um, this is actually, maybe I should say, and not, not surprisingly, a question which people every so often come up with the idea, and that is, uh, can they marry a Pilegash today? Is there such a head today of a Pilegash as well? Because we find that the Torah allows now, this obviously we're not talking about a Pilegish in addition to one's wife because that's already the Takana of Rabbeinu Gershom, which has been unanimously accepted by all the Ashkenazi and most of the as well, and that is not to marry more than one lady. But to have a Pilegish is considered to marry them? If, uh, is it, be, it a quasi? It would be halakhically, it's a quasi marriage, but the Maisa, the Takana of Rabbeinu Gershom would apply there as well. Would prefer, prefer, right. The question people have is, is that, let's say, instead of getting married with a mutter to have a feeling. Do you have a hard time making a decision? Uh, so the Shittas Arambam is, and there are many, many questions in this Rambam. But the Shittas Arambam in Hilchus Merachim is that only a Melech is allowed to marry a Pilegash. Um, the Rambam's reasoning for that, the Mashmoor says, is either because the Chashash of a Pilegash is that people wouldn't treat her as a Eshesish, and it could cause her sorrow. And the Melech, so people would be scared to touch the, like somebody who was, so to speak, meant for, as a, even as a Pelegish of the king. And if that's the case, so there are many times in Tanakh we find that other people in Tanakh had Pelegishim. What would they have to be? According to Ramam, the only a king is, is allowed to marry Pelegish. Right, so one of the questions they ask. Well, the first one to ask the question is the, is the Ramban. The Ramban, who is always the, so to speak, the first Mufarish who often criticizes or finds issue with certain points in the Ramban. So he asks from a number of people in Tanakh who weren't kings, but nevertheless we find they had Pilakshim. And one of the people he asks from is Gidon. He says, Gidon was a shepherd. And nevertheless you see that he had a Pilakish. Didn't they want to make him a king? Or so that he might say he didn't accept it? He didn't accept it. So he's the next, so he's the next, king. Right. That's the, that's the kasha that the, the Ramban asks. The case of Mishnah and others come to answer, trying different ways to answer the question on the Ramban. Um, in all kinds of different ways about what the dinner, where the dinner of the Ramban would apply and wouldn't apply. But what's interesting first, before we try and answer the question, is the Rabag. The Rabag is also a Rishon. And when he brings in this pasuk, he says that it was actually a mistake on Gideon's part. And that's why all the tsaras he later had from the son of this Pilagesh was Ke'ilu because he wasn't meant to marry him. The tsar, he goes with the Ma'anach of the Rambam and he doesn't try and explain why Gideon would be different. He says, it wasn't the right thing to do. Which is something interesting to remember. Um, what the other Mephoshim, uh the case of Mishnah, Uses the turrets to explain uh, the stain of Gidon. So he, said, he has a halakhic uh, difference between the Ram's case and our case. Uh, let's just explain what it is. That is, there's a, the Ram understood the dinner of Pilagash 
is a, a connection to a lady that there's no chiyuv to marry. If a person, why would a king marry someone as a pilegesh? So the answer is, a king has a limit of how many ladies is allowed to marry. Oh, right. right. We have a limit for a king, he's allowed to marry 18 ladies. Like the Pasuk says, and he had six wives, and he tells him, if you wanted more, you could have had six and another six and another six. So that the Gemara knows it's a hedrin, that a king is allowed to marry 18 wives. Um, a regular commoner who's not a king isn't limited. The is, as long as he's got enough money to support him and fulfill his chiyuvim as a husband to each one, he's not limited how many wives he's allowed to marry. And therefore, the question will explain that the reason why the king is allowed to be lagish is because really we, the pilagish isn't a lachatkhila option. A person wants to get married, so he should, take, he should treat his wife like a wife and fulfill all the obligations that the Torah wants a Jewish husband to have to his wife. The king has a problem because the king is not allowed to marry more than that. And if that's the case, so the, the, a pilagish isn't, the king isn't considered a king wife. But, um, it's brought in the first mission. But uh, somebody who's not a king and therefore isn't limited in that way, so that's okay. So there's no reason why he can't marry this lady too. Why was therefore why would it be a hector to take her as a pilagash? Now, if that's the case, so you find the interesting halakh. That's the case of Mishnah says over here. And he says that there was there's a halakh in the Torah. If a person buys the service of a young girl called the Amma Ivriya, uh, because the father can't support her, so he buys her basically as a servant for six years. As a maidservant, a housekeeper, whatever it's going to be. And then there's a mitzvah of yud. And the mitzvah of yud is that at the end of that time, then the owner himself, or his, either for himself or for his son, he should take her as a wife, either for himself or for one of his sons, so that she shouldn't be left then abandoned because she's, her father obviously isn't in a position to look after her, and she doesn't have a husband, so then she'll be left uh, on her own. And therefore there's a mitzvah of yud on the master to make sure she has a shirk. Right. So, what the Kesem Mishnah says that in that case, and this is a big Kiddush, he says that the din of a Pilagash after Yud, uh, the din of Amibri after Yud, is it has the din of a Pilagash also. Which means that normally uh, when a person gets married, so is Mechuyv to write his life or all the other Dilim Rabbanon added to it. Over here, the Torah is Mechaiv him to marry her. Yes, he has Chiyuvim to her, like the Torah says he does, but it's not with the Chuf of Chiddushin which are Rabbanon enactments. And therefore, he wants to suggest that it could be the Pilagish she had was in that category. And that would be a case where it's not somebody who's looking for an outside daddy and chooses to marry as a Pilagish, as opposed to marrying as a wife. It's a case where it's Yud Ami Vriya, which would also, he, he wants to learn, have his dinner with Pilagish. And if that's the case, that would be why, uh, I'm not just kidding, why other people as well in Tanakh, even if they weren't kings, were allowed to marry Pilagish. Is another shaft the Yeah. Okay, that's the, that's the one way to resolve this with the Rambam. There's another Maharach also, from... Sefer Makna, it's also in the Parshman Kedushin. And he just says that there's different kinds of Pilagish. There's a kind of Pilagish who's without a Kedushin, there's a kind of Pilagish which has a Kedushin but doesn't look so. And therefore, as I say, when Amam said 
that only a king is allowed to marry a Pilegesh, he meant the Pilegesh was out of Kiddush. Whereas when it says over here that she was a Pilegesh, it means it was in a Pilegesh, that there was a Kiddush, and therefore, at least halachically, it was a proper marriage. But there's just no Ksuba. There's no Ksuba, right. So it's like the Yavama, but a Ksuba is from the previous. Right, then it is a Ksuba, it just comes from the previous husbands. Yeah, there would be a case of a marriage without that. Here the Mitsuda says that it was without Kiddush. Then he's not a kiddush. Then we talk to Shmuel and the Rambam because the Rambam learns that. Well, I can't do that. Ksuba is not. We're talking whether it's machlekes in the Tanaim. Ksuba is the raisa or not? We pass him that Ksuba is the raisa, and the Nusach Haraksuba is that the husband says he's giving her kesef Muslims as he two hundred says the chazid lechi with the raisa, which is her Ksuba with the raisa. The document may be the Rabban, but the feel of Ksuba is the feel of the raisa. Okay, so that's the. Regarding the Pilegash that Gideon took, like you said, it's indicative that she was in Shem. That's going to make a difference to us. And also, the name she gave him. Now, this is the last interesting point. The name Avi Melech really means, my father's a king. Avi Melech. And I also point out, that's a last issue for the Ramah, question we asked before, that Gideon felt, or even if he didn't accept the Melacha, that Lamaisi had he was entitled to it, he was offered it. And therefore, he was allowed to marry Pilegesh. And if that's the case, he called the son from the Kiranish, Avi Melech. The kid would say, my father is a king. That's how I'm allowed to be the son of a Pilegesh. Okay, which is an interesting thing. So that's the story of Gidon. And the Pazak finishes off. Ayamas Gidon ben Yash, Mesev Ataiba. Gidon dies, Mesev Ataiba, at an old age. And Yikavi Bekeva Yash, Avi Ba'af Rav Yahezri. He's buried in the family grave of his father. Which was in the place after that's where the family was originally from, and that's where that's where he's buried as well. The idea of the Seva Taiva is what we find Avram Avinu also. And uh, it says also that Avram that he died the Seva Taiva. And Rashi says there that the Seva Taiva was that he didn't see Aesop become a Russia during his lifetime. When Avram died, Aesop was full of tiny. So he died content. He died seeing his children, his grandchildren, whoever it was, still uh, following, so to speak, the path he had set for them, and uh, all the tsaras which happened only happened after he died. And the same thing happened here by Gideon. Even though the master, you'll see the terrible tragedy that happened to all his children later on, but he didn't live to see that. He died before that happened, he died to save the He died having so content that Gideon having been successful in the family that he raised. Not only that, it was also that Kaisal. As long as he lived, was still following the Torah. And if, even if he wasn't a king, but Lamais, the influence of the nation he brought to that still had its effect. And as long as Gideon was alive, so Eretz Israel was at peace and the Jewish people were following the Torah. And after Gideon dies, Vayik Hashem is Gideon, then Vayeshuv in Israel, Vayeznu Achariah Ba'alim, Vayesimle and Baal Brislalehim. It was afterwards, only after Gideon died, that Kai Israel reverted to the idolatrous practices they had before. Now go back to worshiping the Baal. Now, this is an interesting point. And that is, if Gideon had been a king, and he had been in a position of authority, then we can understand how he prevented Klai Israel doing anything wrong. Because he was in control. He had a police force, or he had, he had like, certain uh, rights, or certain abilities over the Jewish people, that he could force them to keep the Torah. Authority. Authority. But we see that Gideon wasn't a king. Gideon went back to being a commoner, and he went back to living in his homestead in Afra, wherever it was. And nevertheless, as long as Gideon was alive, 
the fact that he was alive was enough of a deterrent to stop Kairos from going back to Avedazar. Even they couldn't enforce that necessarily, but his presence was enough to do that. And this is something we find by another, a number of tzaddikim. And that is, as long as they were alive, Kairos Yisrael didn't sink to a lower level. It was only after they died that it could happen. Now, there are two reasons for this. This is, a, this is an interesting point to think about. The two reasons are this would be. The one is that the presence of such a person makes it difficult for people to do the wrong thing. You know, it's just not get them around. And uh, so people would be embarrassed or would be, have a certain hesitation about doing something wrong. That's the one. The other one, and we find by other leaders of Kaisal also, that uh, during their lifetimes, Kaisal didn't do various. Even though they weren't in a position, we're not always talking about a king or somebody who had an authority position, but as long as they were alive, it, it held Klai Yisrael from doing the wrong thing. Just like we did, and we try. As long as Yaakov Avinu was alive. So Klai Yisrael were all held to the terror in the midst. So only after he and the Shvatim died, that's when the downhill slide began into Klai Yisrael's attempt to intermarry or intermingle with the, with the Mitzvah. Okay, so that's, uh, that's the one. The second one, and this is something which uh, Rishal Salaam used to speak about a lot, and that is that there's what he calls the Kayak Skuli, which means there's, there's also the, so to speak, overall level of the Jewish people. It's not based on one individual, it's based on Klai Yisrael together. And then Klai Yisrael's collected communal level is in a certain place. And if there's a great leader in Klai Yisrael, so that raises the entire, so to speak, level of the Jewish people. And that itself prevents people falling too much. But when the tzaddik dies, and therefore there isn't that factor, which is a very strong uh, weight on the, on the scale of the schosin that Klai Yisrael has, so now there isn't that counterbalance to prevent them doing things wrong, and then the Klai Yisrael is going to fall more. In the Muslim world, it's famous that uh, the way Rabbi Shmuel said it, but this is the th- this is the you said you were saying that Klai Yisrael is is a communal so to speak collective level that Klai Yisrael is holding, and therefore the more tzaddikim are, the more it prevents uh, people doing on the other extreme getting worse. So the way that Rabbi Shmuel's repeated said it is that if a, if a one Jew would speak lashon hara in Vilna, someone in Paris will machal shams. Because as long as you have more tzaddikim on the one extreme, that picks up the entire level of the jar. And imagine the people on the other extreme will be held back from doing, from falling from where they are right now. And therefore, being as a given as a tzaddik who was alive at the time. And therefore, his being alive brought up the common level of Kaisra. And therefore, during his lifetime, they wouldn't serve over desire. And only after he died that they could go back to where they were before. But so on one hand, this is a compliment to Gidon, that he was a tzaddik of such a stature. On the other hand, it's a very big accusation against the Jewish people. And that is that as soon as Gidon dies, they immediately revert to where they were before. They didn't learn, they didn't change because of the nace that happened in the time of Gidon. And that would give them the fortitude to withstand the Vedasara after he died. No, as soon as he died, they, they immediately go back to their view. Like it says, the Apostle says, it wasn't just that they went to Vedasara, by Yeshua B'nai Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael went back to the Avodah Zarah. It's clear that they, it doesn't look like they completely left it. It's as, it seems like as long as Gideon was alive, they had separated from it or stopped. And now that he died, they went back to it again. It was something which they still had a connection to. 
Right. Did we find that Gidon was criticized for not taking the Mufa? No. Maybe if his children would have been brought in, they would have been able to maintain. Well, okay, I don't, we don't find Gideon's criticized for it. Not more than that. We don't find the Mementi in Melachim from Adar Shvatim. Unless there's a specific Hira uh, of Elohim for that. Okay, that's the that's the passion in this pasuk. And the pasuk by Medan, "Belayzachu b'nei Yisrael as Hashem aleihem, hamatzu loisam miyakareveim yisavim." Not only did they worship the Lord, they didn't remember Hashem who had saved them. And they didn't repay the chesed of Gidon to Gidon's family for all what he did for Klai Yisrael. So, the obvious question is what's the connection between these two psukim? Why is the, why is the pasuk comparing that Klai Yisrael didn't remember Hashem the fact that Klai Yisrael didn't do chesed with Gidon? So there's a Yalkut Shimani over here, it brings the Midrash and Benu, that connects the one to the other one. And it says that, why, where, in what way do we see Klai Shal didn't remember Hashem? Because they didn't do Chesed with Gidon. With Gidon's family. Okay. What's the, what's the connection between these two things? So Chaim Shmulevitz always used to say that one of the biggest Mechaibim, that there is to remind the person of Hashem is the feeling of Akar Satayf. Because the more that a person realizes what Hashem has done or is doing for them, that's Nakai Akar Satayf. And you realize how does the person remember Hashem? Just think of what Hashem has done for you. And that, that, that itself should obligate a person to reciprocate. But if a person is missing the middle of Akar Satayf, so then they can be aware of all the Chasadim Hashem has done for them. And nevertheless, it's not going to change them. It's not going to make them better because without a feeling of indebtedness, a feeling of having to repay what was done for a person, so with having, even having been the recipient of all that taiva doesn't obligate me. And where do you see that? So in the case of Gidon, the fact that they had no cards to talk to Gidon, even though he was the one who had been an instrument to save them, they had no cards to talk. So we see a door which is Missing a car satov, you may not forget Hashem as well. Why you see there's no car satov? Because they went back to Avodah Zorah. When the car satov begins, we see the next pair. We see what happened to all his children. But uh, the lack of remembering Hashem is the fact that he went back to Avodah Zorah. Right. The other chiddush over here, I mean, another example of this, is the famous Chai Adam. That he explains the same Yusuf. That the Gemara says in Kedushin that if a person honors his parents, Hashem says it's as if they honored me. And if a person doesn't honor his parents, Hashem says they didn't honor me either. Why? So Chacham Zalman explains the same principle, and he says that the Mechay for Kibbutz Avraham is better than Makar Satav. It's only because of one's parents that he's alive and they looked after him and they brought him up, or whatever else it is. And therefore, if a person has a karas atav to his parents, so then it's Hashem says, Kilo, they respected me, they honored me as well. Whereas if a person doesn't have a karas atav, so you see the same result, it's Kilo, they forgot Hashem. Because without the mechaim of a karas atav, so there's not going to, the person is not going to feel indebted or be obligated to repay Hashem did for him. And then let's finish the parak with this observation. 
until now we said always oh, calls him Gidon. The one time, so he went back to his home and called him Yerubal, and now it's calls him both. But also Chesed and Beis Yerubal Gidon. And the question is, why would it? Why why is it always the change? So, the answer is the name Yerubal was given to him in the place where he lived. The people there call him Yerubal because since he had destroyed uh, the, their Mizbech and Shech, the animal they had prepared for the Baal, so his father said, you don't have to kill him, you don't have to fight the Baal's battles, Yerubal, let the Baal fight him. So he was known in that place, in his hometown, as Yerubal. Klayashol was given. Even the enemy he was given. And therefore he always calls him Gidon. And twice he goes back to his, the first time he went back to his hometown. So then the Pasuk said over there that uh, when he went back to to Iroi, to the, to the city where he was, and he goes back to his town and calls him Yerubal, which was the name he was called there. Same thing, when he talks over here, with the, about the, the, the chesed to the family of Gidon. Remember the family of Gidon was where he was. So he calls him again the house of Yerubal. That's what he was locally known as. In his hometown of Afra, that's what he was called. And therefore, the, the lobby here in these two places goes back um, to giving him the title that he had of Yoruba. Is, is there relevance to that? Is, like, there's a whole sperm uh, where it might not even be their name. Like maybe Moshe's name wasn't really Moshe. Ruth wasn't maybe Ruth here. Like in this city, it was called Yerubal. Over there, it's called Gidon. But like, why is it? Bothering us with this. Why is it relevant to us? Yeah. There was a... Yerubal was a title. It was that, let the Baal take revenge on him. Uh-huh. And uh, for something... Yeah, the Navi doesn't say this, but I would venture to add that as a title, he's probably proud of. It meant he was the one to stand up to the Baal. And if, if the Baal has any power, it'll take revenge on him. Right. So it would be a... In other words, for the Baal worshippers, that was maybe... They lifted him as the enemy. But for him, it was on the contrary. That, and that he, it was, he threw down a challenge to the Baal, let the Baal take revenge. Right. Okay, so that's the end of the story of Gidon. And Vedashim tomorrow we'll start very test the story of Gidon's sons.